This episode of the PC Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price, because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash PCPer and enter code PCPer. Hey everybody, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 457, being recorded on July 5th, 2017. I'm Ryan Schrout. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Alan Malavitano. Wait. That's right, Wait. right? That's how that goes? I Pretty think much. so. I okay. think let's just keep let's keep it in in you know canon i yeah. guess and we'll go that way uh welcome to the show everybody i am not in the studio obviously i'm uh in north carolina i guess technically on an island off the outer banks here uh at a friend's house who let me borrow his uh office and internet connection to do our show this week um but we've got a lot to talk about here we're going to go a lot into radeon vega which was obviously the big story of the week from us uh, as well as a couple of other things like nvidia's uh, multi-die gpus and uh, a bunch of stuff down that direction so uh, a couple quick things off the bat obviously uh, we do record the show on wednesday nights 10 p.m eastern 7 p.m pacific at pcper.com slash live uh if you want to uh, join that we have a chat room there where people can interact with us before the show after the show ask questions you know interject if we you know get things wrong or you want to add to the discussion uh, it's really cool to do so if you need a little reminder about the time and location for that you can go to pcper.com slash subscribe and that gives you a form which basically allows you to give us your name and email address we send you a notification through email you know an hour two hours before uh, we do any live stream and if we're doing any kind of special edition live stream like if we have somebody coming out from uh you know a different company to talk through a product or do an interview we let you know through that as well so that's pretty cool uh, and then obviously we have uh, – we still have our ongoing campaigns for people who want to try to support us and the show we do and the work we do. Um, the first one being PCPer.com uh, or PCPer's Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash PCPer. You go there. This is your ability to kind of have a monthly – monetary contribution to the website so if you want to give us you know two dollars three dollars five dollars ten dollars a month uh, whatever you think the show and the website and the reviews and the content that we create are worth to you it's super beneficial for us uh, it allows us to continue to do what we can do and pay the guys and and do the content and do something that we're proud of every week well mostly mostly proud of i guess uh, and then also we have recently started up kind of the pool campaign for this, right? So if, uh, you know, coin mining, cryptocurrency mining, all that stuff is is the rage. If you don't have the ability to donate $5 a month, but you have a, a, a GPU in your system, which I'm guessing the vast majority of you do, and you think, well, while I'm at the office and I'm not using my PC, why not donate the time from uh, my machine to financial you know, benefit to PC per, right? Like this is kind of a community group on this. So if you go to pcper.com slash mining, you will find uh, the instructions necessary to download a very, very simple application called NiceHash, which is what we use in the office for any kind of mining purposes and benchmarking and whatnot that basically looks at your GPU, determines what you have, runs a benchmark on it, and then will mine for you. Uh, uh, and we give you the code to put in to, to send it to our wallet and whatnot. We have 
several people doing this, handful of people doing this. That's pretty great. Super appreciate it. Uh, and there's codes in there to like, or options in the application to, you know, only run when you're idle or when the system has been idle for five or 10 minutes, whatever you want to set it up as. So super friendly for that. And, uh, anybody who wants to help through that, per- that way is, uh, super awesome as well. Anybody who becomes a new patron through Patreon, by the way, I will still get your email here, uh, through the phone. And uh, I will uh, call out your name uh, on the live stream and on the podcast, so keep that in mind as well. Uh, and it looks like we still have a little bit of time left for our contest. We have a F- FSP supplied some power supplies and some cases for us to do a contest that ends on, as I scroll to try to find the conclusion date, what am I missing? Where is that at? Six days left. Six days left. Okay, so there's, you know, uh, four power supplies and two cases up for grabs completely for free. You go to uh, PCPar.com and search for the Celebrate Summer with FSP post. Uh, you will find that. And some, you know, easy ways to enter one or all will get you entries into the contest. One of which is basically click this button once per day. And uh, you'll get entries in that way as well. So easy stuff. And thanks to our friends at FSP for that. So, all the early stuff out of the way, let's talk about what probably is the biggest story of the week as far as we're concerned. Maybe on the entire hardware ecosystem that exists, that's right, the Seasonic Focus Plus power supply. It's really an amazing – wait, did we get – do you guys don't think that's what it was? No. no, no. I think there was the Galax GTX 1060. Yeah, I think the, maybe the biggest surprise there is that they dropped the Y from the name and became Galax instead of Galaxy. But in reality, it is the uh, uh, Radeon Vega Radeon Vega Frontier Edition review that we were able to do. i got to remember not to use the word RX in this. Uh, Radeon Vega Frontier Edition um, that we purchased ourselves. AMD did not send out for review, and uh, we did a full review of it. Um, and so this is this is the first hands you know first time we've had our hands on a Vega product, the first time we've had uh, the ability to review and measure performance and, and look at the stuff. Um, but it is an interesting kind of discussion to have because this is not the product that that AMD is targeting towards gamers. This is the product that AMD is targeting towards. Um, prosumers, not not professional, like enterprise consumers uh, that need certified drivers, but somewhere in between, somewhere like the Titan brand of things. And it's a $999 video card for the air-cooled version that we were able to look at, and it's $1499 for the water-cooled version, which we're still waiting to get our hands on to see what performance and you know characteristic differences it's going to have accordingly. A couple of interesting specs now that we have the card in our hands. We know that the Vega Frontier Edition has 4,096 stream processors, the same number as the Radeon R9 Fury X. So that's kind of an interesting note to have, but at substantially higher clock speeds. Um, The base clock is 1,382 megahertz compared to 1,050 megahertz in the R9 Fury X. Uh, And the boost clock is listed as 1,600. Quick thing on on the clock speeds is that 1382 is more of AMD's uh, typical boost clock, like where they think the clock speeds will tend to remain during gaming. Uh, and 
in our experience, we saw it a little bit higher in some cases and a little bit lower in other cases. But we definitely never got to the 1600 megahertz mark, even if it was like maybe we got like instantaneously, right, you know, right at the beginning before the GPU actually um, was heating up. The cooler was never able to keep us at 1600, even when we cranked the fan speed up all the way. We were able to get closer, but not not all the way there. Uh, it does have 16 gigs of HBM2 memory um, running at a uh, – 1890 megahertz frequency um it's a little bit wider so you actually notice that the hbm2 memory bandwidth of vega frontier edition is lower than the memory bandwidth of the fury x 483 gigabytes per second versus 512 gigabytes per second um and actually the uh vega frontier edition has within one gigabyte per second the memory bandwidth of the 1080 ti which gives you some interesting uh, perspective on the potential benefits of HBM2. If you know the big benefit of HBM initially was that you were getting 512 gigabytes per second of memory bandwidth, and you compared that to something like the, you know, the 980 that was getting 224 gigabytes per second. So you're more than doubling it. And now with the advent or of their GDDR5, high end, which that, was 320 gig. Yes, correct. Yeah, correct. So it's you know that 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 memory bandwidth delta has kind of gone away now there's there's all kinds of discussions we're not going to get into about latency differences and stuff and we'll see how that kind of pans out over time um the the, it's rated at 13.1 teraflops of peak compute which is actually higher than the titan xp and the 1080 ti but as we show in our benchmarks and our testing um the raw tariff peak theoretical compute measured in teraflops does not directly compute or equate to gaming performance uh, and that we've known this for a long time, but it's just nice to reiterate some of that stuff. We got some cool uh, die shots in there in our story that uh, Ken was able to get for us by disassembling the product after we had done all of our performance analysis, of course. Uh, it's a neat-looking card. Like, in terms of physical design, it is impressive-looking. Maybe the, It's definitely the best card AMD's ever built, and it's probably the best GPU I've ever held and looked at and held in my hand, right? It's just brushed metal finish kind of a purplish blue design the yellow uh, illuminated radeon logo in the corner um the radeon name across the top illuminates the vega logo on the front is cool looking it doesn't light up and i think it should um uh, you know other interesting things it's got two eight pin power connectors it's got uh, uh two just three display port one hdmi display output um so very much a you know in line with kind of expectations in that regard um I don't know where I want to go with this. Other, I think I think rather than kind of walk through a bunch of benchmarks, I will just say this: the gaming performance of the Vega Frontier Edition ranged somewhere between a GTX 1070 and a GTX 1080, and that's you know looking at 25 by 60, 2560 by 1440 and 4K resolutions. Uh, our benchmarks were Dirt Rally, Fallout 4, Grand Theft Auto 5, Hitman, Rise of Tomb Raider, Witcher. Uh, Witcher 3, and then 3D Mark and Unigen and, you know, those tests. Um, and, you know, it, it was, you know, matching a 1080 in some cases. It was down to a 1070 in some cases. In general, somewhere in the middle. And I will will say, very frankly, that that's lower than, than I thought we would see. And I had actually guessed that our performance would instead be somewhere between a 1080 and a 1080 Ti. That was based purely on expectations that AMD had put forth for what they expected 
their you know basically basically how much they had been hyping it up or talking about it or, or how important this this product was going to be to their you know their the future of their GPU um, um, direction I guess um, there was a page on the story in the review called answering questions before you ask, because I knew a lot of this stuff was going to happen. Right. And, and there's a lot of apologists out there. There's a lot of AMD fans and there's a lot of people that work at AMD that were, uh, you know, they didn't sample these cards for a reason. They didn't want reviewers to test them. Um, and you can take it upon yourself to figure out or, or guess why is it really because this is a professional card and uh, it's not really intended for the gaming market. Um, and you know, we didn't want to, you know, they didn't, but, but we've been sampled Radeon Pro cards, Fire Pro cards, Quadro cards in the past. And we always do the professional level tests. And then we also do gaming tests as well because people do both. And it's interesting to see both sides of that. The cynical view of why they didn't sample it is because the performance was subpar, lower than expectations. And they just were trying to keep that as tight-lipped as possible for the time being. Um, so the argument of this isn't a gaming card, you know, I, 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 yes, sure, fine, whatever. So you can take the information that we've created and benchmarks we ran purely as an educational data point. And I still think that, that that's very worthwhile. Um, the argument of the drivers are old doesn't really matter because it's the only drivers that exist, um, that it's not optimized for gaming, that's just not true, and especially since considering the games we're testing weren't wasn't stuff that came out this month, right? These are older titles um, that have a very well defined place in kind of the gaming and benchmark ecosystem. Um, arguments about the frequency not getting to where it should have. Oh, it didn't hit sixteen hundred megahertz. Yes, absolutely. If they can hit sixteen hundred, it's going to run faster. Until then, this is the clock speed the product is running at. So that's just kind of where we're at. Um, you know, we could have adjusted fan speed higher, but again, out of box experience is what we were looking at. Um, things like that. Right. And also the, the idea that, that RX Vega is going to have a better cooler or run at better speeds or, or all those types of things. And, and all that stuff could be very possible. Uh, but that's not what the Vega frontier edition was doing. So it, it's, it's worth noting that, you know, that, we took all of this into consideration as we were writing this review and as we were looking at things. Um, you know, we've got a page on on clock speeds. If you want to see the clock speed consistency, we're running somewhere between you know thirteen hundred and fifteen hundred the majority of the time. Um, and when we ramped up that fan speed, like considerably, like hundred percent, was really loud on this card. And Ken and Alan will be able to tell you that. Um, we really only saw a 40 to 80 megahertz change in, in kind of average sustained frequency. Uh, power consumption is high as well. You know, 280 to 300 watts. We saw some interesting things as well that need more dissection of once the card had warmed up to its like 8385 C max, um, like thermal limit in, in, in the settings that you can actually, if you look at the power consumption graph on Tomb Raider, for example, if you look at the blue line in the back, you'll see the power drops and comes back up, drops and comes back up. And it's kind of a, a repeatable pattern um, that we were able to see in The Witcher 3. We saw it in Metro Last Light, and we actually saw it worsen in Metro Last Light, where we actually saw two dips down um, before it would come back up. But if we crank up that fan speed up to 100%, we do see kind of a more, uh, the, the consistent power draw as well. So this is something that can be adjusted with fan speed curve changes or uh, improved uh, just cooling capability on that water-cooled version of, of the Frontier Edition or um, 
you know, uh, just better cooling in general, right? So things to keep in mind there. In terms of professional tests, we ran SpecView Perf, we ran uh, Cinebench, we ran Luxmark, and it does much better there. It kind of trades blows back and forth with the Titan XP, as well as kind of competing in the realm of the of the Quadro P4000, right? Which is like an $800 professional level video card. So it does it definitely does better there, and it seems that is more of a relation to, you know, NVIDIA is more than willing to kind of create a differentiated product segment in Quadro and GeForce by disabling some features in software and drivers, whereas AMD decided that one of the avenues they could make sense with was to not split that up or not split that up nearly as much. Um, so what they did instead was they were able to uh, uh, keep the... Um, basically create a little bit more value for their product because the uh, uh, the professional capabilities are there, but it's still not certified drivers. There's still some limitations to some of that. So there's there's definitely a, a bigger debate to have uh, in the mindset. So uh, worth, worth noting there. Um, I kind of just want to leave it open for you guys to ask me any questions or thoughts on it at this point because i feel like the story has been up and out for a while i mean my, my kind of general takeaway from this is that performance was lower than i was expecting amd still has a few weeks to figure out what they're going to do it's possible that the gpu clock speeds for rx vega the consumer variant are going to be higher it's possible that there would be a big driver change but it seems unlikely to me that that the consumer variant of vega is going to be very different than what this card is except based on price there's no way they charge a thousand bucks um and if they if they price this at 499 then you have a competing a compelling product 399 you have a very compelling product so you know i don't it really comes down to what amd is willing to do or what they can do uh, with hbm2 kind of being the restrictor in a lot of cases so I, you know, open that up to thoughts or whatever. We did. We did also do. It's worth noting. I guess we we have a post that looks at the um, we, where we tore, tore the car apart, so you can see the die shot, you can see the board design, you can see clearly that like this board could be considerably smaller, and there's a whole bunch of empty P PCB space to the right of the graphics card. That's interesting to see. Um, but but when holy you cool product, Batman. Say again. I said holy resistors, Batman. Yeah, there's a lot of intricacy in some of this stuff going on, right? Yeah, the uh, SMT mounts are pretty insane, uh, just right behind the GPU. And then if you look at the GPU shot itself, you can see it's just the giant ring of many, many resistors. It's kind of impressive. But, uh, it is, you know, but a couple it's of things also, we, like, concerning, right? Not really. Well, I mean, if, if you think about it, when you when you separate the memory from the GPU, like in GDDR5, GDDR5X, you don't notice a lot of those resistors because you know they're they're sitting behind the memory modules and they're away from the center. And you've got some resistors in you know under the GPU and that, but everything's all spread out. But because everything's in this really tight spot, they have to put it all there, and so that right. You know, even though the interposer and the lower clock speed and a lot of these other things allows it to not have quite as many components, you still have to have some to be able to do all the work that it's supposed to do. 
And mm-hmm. so uh, it's kind of interesting to see the differences in uh, SMT, you know, surface mount technology, um, you know, parts, whether they're caps, resistors, whatever, how that changes when you go to HBM versus, you know, the more traditional, uh, you know, memory is separate from from the GPU. Um, things that are kind of interesting about the GPU and the interposer itself, uh, I think it was, what, 512 millimeter square? That you kind of came to a consensus on for the actual GPU. I think it's 484, according to what Raja this, tweeted. So Raja never actually tweeted a number because I asked AMD to verify it a couple of times, and they said they wouldn't. He said it was under 500 millimeters square, and it was a perfect, the nearest perfect square. Yeah, so I, I, saw, I saw said that, the and then I contacted AMD and said, "Hey." That's what I'm measuring. Meanwhile, another person at AMD who had just gotten a card themselves measured it and came up with something over 500. So I don't know the answer to that yet. It's somewhere around 500. It depends on how – okay, one, it's going to depend on how you measure it and how they measure it. So let's say they measure it by the edges of where the transistors were etched. Then maybe it could mm-hmm. be 484 millimeters square. Sure, but you don't have the ability to measure where all the transistors not. end because you've got to have a certain amount of uh, die space that's going to be empty, so you can, you know, at least cut the damn things. You've you've got to have a certain amount that you know when you're manufacturing these interposers, a little bit of a corner gets chipped off, and you're not going to worry about it. So. Right. Yeah, the actual design litho could be 484, but the amount of actual die space or or silicon disk space, wafer space, is going to be the amount that you see. In fact, it's a little bit higher because, you know, a certain amount of of space is going to be needed to just saw the damn dies from the the wafer. So. So you could say, hey, we've got a 484 sure. millimeter square, but that doesn't mean that you're going to have all this extra space around it on an interposer to do whatever you want. Or you can make the interposer smaller because you've still got to consider the space outside. So, you know, just the mechanical things that you do to these dies will not affect the ability of the transistors to actually work. And so yep. I think what Alan did he he measured the uh, interposer himself and that was some was slightly above eight hundred millimeter square. I think so. I don't think I don't think yeah, I don't think you guys actually uh, documented it in the in the little news post. But yeah, that's about the highest biggest size. Um, I think it can go up to about one hundred eight fifty is what many people kind of consider mm. the really reasonable size for interposer and fury was right around there at the very, very top end because Fury was damn near 600 millimeter square for mm-hmm. the actual die itself. And then you had four memory modules surrounding it rather than just the kind of two larger ones that uh, HBM2 has. So, you know, some interesting mixing and matching. But I think what is strangest here is that Fury is not all that far off in terms of performance from Vega FE. I mean, yeah, right. there there is a chunk, but it's not... I mean, there's a, the, the Fury is about, what, 20% slower than a 1070? Yay, no, yeah. I can't remember exactly. 
25 no, sounds right yeah and then and, and it's uh, go ahead go ahead okay um but we've got the same amount of stream units in vega fe as we did in fury but we only went from a 600 millimeter square die down to 512, 484, whatever. Uh, and that's going from a 28 nanometer process down to Samsung Global Foundry's 14 nanometer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What have you done that has not allowed it to scale smaller than it? I mean, it, it should be literally 350 millimeter square if you have the exact same stuff as Fury, but shrunk down to 14 nanometer process. Yeah. What's taking up all that extra space? I don't, I don't know. get it. And there's also like, um, uh, we don't have a link to it, but gamersnexus.net does, did a good story on something that I'd wanted to do before I left on this trip, which was go do clock for clock testing of Fury X versus Frontier Edition Vega. And it looks like it's almost identical. And in a couple of cases, a little bit lower where they ran both cards at 1,050 megahertz, telling you that there's very little IPC increase, if, if zero. And it seems to be that for a 38% increase in clock speed, you're only gaining 25% in performance generally over the Fury X so that there seems to be some other bottlenecks in place, whether that be memory controller or whatever it have you have uh, it, it would be. Uh, it's also worth noting we did crossfire testing. Ken did crossfire testing this week, and I wrote up that story. Um, in general, scaling was not fantastic. It doesn't look doesn't look like there are any changes to multi GPU scaling and crossfire uh, for Vega. You know, it ranged from you know Hitman being DX12 supporting crossfire at zero percent scaling um, because it you know requires the game engine to to handle it, which the Hitman engine does not. Um, up to you know something like Fallout 4 or Dirt Rally, where you see maybe. Or, or GTA, where you maybe see like 80% scaling, but you're also seeing some pretty dramatic frame time variance spikes as well. So uh, nothing changed there other than the fact that we happened to get in two cards uh, because I placed multiple orders. Uh, and it seems stupid to not run crossfire testing on Vega if we had um, two of those cards really sitting around. So, And then the other kind of Vega-related news story that came up was that there was a performance leak of 3D Mark 11 where the, supposedly the RX Vega card again they're basing this purely on a on a part number on a, like a hex ID part number um and it was running at what was the frequency that it was running at Ken uh I'm pulling up the leak right now hold on was it was it actually 1600 megahertz or was it like 1650 or it was something like that it was a little bit but I mean, 3D Mark also reported 1600 for the Frontier Edition, and it was never it wasn't running at that. That was just the right initial clock speed of the card. Gotcha, gotcha. So that that's that's all you know. That's it. Kind of you know is basically bothersome and like so it reports 1630, but it's not actually reporting the actual clock speed. 3D Mark only tells you what the rated clock speed is. Same thing that GPUs GPUZ tells you. So we have no idea what actual clock speed this was running at. Um, and there's more than like a 10% scoring. total performance delta between that top score at 31K and the other one at 27.8. Because hmm. they ran it multiple times. 
Yeah, and it's and it's three mark eleven, and so it's not indicative of real gaming, yeah. and there's all kinds of questions. And so, you know, the the, the leak out there basically leaves the uh, leaves the door open for there being potentially better performance for the gaming card. I think the gaming card will perform better. It's just a matter of how much, right? If it's if it's five to seven percent better, it's not really going to change the story of Vega as a GPU. The only thing that will change the story of Vega as a GPU is pricing. Um, you know, it's going to be a power-hungry part that is not going to be anywhere near, near as performance or power efficient as Pascal. And they kind of have to just make do with it, right? They have to price and, and market accordingly. So they can still have a successful product launch. It's just, you know, people who are expecting this to be a 1080 Ti killer are going to have to go back to the drawing board and wait for the next launch or, you know, hope that Raj and his team can kind of get things moving in that direction. I don't know. And another Any thing you guys tested out, who wants to go? I'll go. Another thing you guys tested out was, uh, the whole, uh, tile based frame buffer. Um, mm. there's not, a, it's not, it's not a full TBDR, you know, tile based deferred renderer, but it has, Tiling-like aspects when it comes to the ROPs and uh, and and the frame buffer type uh, operations. I mean, have, have you you tested Cantor's thing and you talked to him mm-hmm. a little bit, didn't you? I didn't talk to him, but I did run the application, um, and then during our live stream that we did last Friday, um, and or whatever it was, Thursday, Thursday. Uh, and people who knew more about the application and the, and the what displays should be showing during that time indicate that it was not using the tile-based rendering um, that it was. And so some people, again, were like, well, okay, if that's not enabled, if you enable it, you're going to improve memory efficiency, which is true. And then they're trying to tie some percentage of performance delta to that. And the truth is, because it's a brand-new memory architecture, really have no idea what the performance delta is going to be between tile-based and immediate mode uh, uh, rasterization, right? So yeah. um, it, it might be that they left it disabled because it didn't matter. Well, that that could very well be because it's it's really mainly a power and efficiency thing. So if you enable it, it's not going to be a silver bullet. I mean, the the shaders and the architecture behind it and – the memory controllers are not going to dramatically change. Um, you're still going to get about the same amount of performance, but what you gain in is overall memory efficiency. Uh, there's not going to be as much memory pressure because you don't need as much memory bandwidth to do the operations you need to. And plus, it is a more power-efficient way of doing things. So when you're looking at a total design and say, Hey, you know what? If I make this change at the frame buffer, mm-hmm. I can get five to 6% better efficiency just in that, not just through, uh, because it's pulling less power, but I mean, you don't have to have as much memory. And so, you know, all these things become more efficient, not necessarily faster, but just more efficient. And when you look through the entire GPU and say, Hey, I can add this, I can take this out. You know, I can I can optimize this. Then you're looking at significant power improvements. But I'm I'm guessing AMD looked at this as like, well, you kind of win some, you lose some. It's a wash. I mean, if we enable this, we may get a little bit more efficiency, but we've still got so much more bandwidth than we used to have for our architecture that it's not going right. to matter. And 
everything else is eating so much power that no matter what we've tried, we're still at a 300 watt TDP part. And who cares if it goes down to 299 or 298 watt TDP? I mean, I understand that's, that's yep. power. You know, that that's heat dissipation versus power. But I mean, those are still very, very much tied together. So yep. it's um, yeah, it's it's not the silver bullet that that people are hoping it will be saying, you know, like, well, once they enable that, we're going to get a 10 percent increase in, in overall performance. Like, no, no, <laughs> you're not. Yep. It's a nice, nice dream. I agree. No, I agree. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, you were going to say something. I was just laughing at Josh's comment because it's absolutely true. Like I was saying, I don't see 10% just poof like that for free. I mean, even if, even if 10% is like the maximum, if you, if you count clock speed differences, driver changes, you know, rasterization changes, uh, the 10% is not enough to make up a significant difference. It gets you closer to 1080 and maybe across 1080 in a couple of times. But, you know, people are asking in the chat, like, how can, how can the Vega have 13.1 teraflops, the Titan XP have 12 and still it lose? And it's just, a t- it's just different of, of utilization of those resources in those games. Um, and it's always been that way. AMD has always had higher theoretical peak compute, which is why they're really good at things like Luxmark or coin mining or whatever you want to do. Um, but when it comes to actually utilizing those resources for gaming purposes, um, that requires a, a great relationship between your hardware and software and nvidia does that exceptionally exceptionally well so um i think we're going to leave our ryzen or our ryzen our vega discussion there uh go to the website we have the review the uh pcb and gpu diagnosis the uh frontier edition crossfire testing on there as well so check all of that out what I want to do right now quickly is thank today's podcast sponsor. That would be our friends at Casper. Uh, our friends at Casper, they've been supporting us for a long time. Um, they are an online retailer of premium mattresses at a fraction of the cost. They revolutionized the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing the savings on to the consumer. It's made of a breathable uh design or breathable fabrics with a design that sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature throughout the night. Uh, I can tell you right now, as I am out of town in North Carolina at my buddy's house, um, they do not have a Casper mattress in their guest room and it sucks. Uh, I'm not telling them that. Hopefully they're not watching the show. They don't think I'm I'm ungrateful for their uh, hospitality, but uh, I would definitely miss the, the, the Casper mattress comfort that we get uh, at home when we're out on the road for these types of things. Um, then also, with the, one of the good things about Casper is you can buy it online very easily, uh, completely risk-free. You can try sleeping on a Casper mattress. Uh, they understand the importance of really trying it out and like sleeping on it and, and using it for an extended period of time to make sure it's the right product for you. They offer a uh, they are, first, they offer free delivery, which is awesome, and they have painless returns with a 100-day period, so you don't have to lie down in a showroom and try to make that decision. All of Casper's mattresses are made in the USA. They have free shipping in the U.S. and Canada, which is perfect, um, since it is both of those countries' birthdays recently. You can save an additional $50 towards a mattress by going to casper.com slash pcper and entering the promo code PCPer. That's casper.com slash pcper, promo code pcper. Terms and conditions do apply and we thank Casper for their support of PC Perspective. So let's move on to a couple of other things very quickly. Um, the Seasonic Focus Plus Gold Power Supply. 
This is a uh, brand new series of parts from Seasonic. Again, they've kind of been revamping their whole product line with this digital PWM stuff. Not PWM, but digital why am I blanking on it? Basically, digital control mechanism and delivery mechanism. Um, yeah, because they've been power analog supplies. since forever. And we yes. asked them, <laughs> what, two years ago, are you guys ever going to go digital? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they basically made the argument that said, we make the best analog power supply in the world. Why would we ever change it? Everybody loves it. And they were right. Um, but I, there was just eventually too much pressure. That's, that's kind of like saying, we make the sweetest smelling manure and compost. Yeah. It's true. I've got hey, the is it best good deals on sure. CRT TVs you'll ever see. But if you keep selling that manure, <laughs> you keep selling that manure. You keep making it, right? Uh, so this power supply yep. is available, I think, in what is it? 550, 650, uh, was it 550, 650, 650, 850. Yeah. Um, yep. And I, I'm going to skip to the, the surprising conclusion to this review uh, and say that it got an Editor's Choice Award and it has zero weaknesses listed from Lee in the review. You know, strengths being, you know, for the we reviewed the 650 watt unit here. You know, continuous output at 50C, um, 80 plus gold certified. So it's not like an 80 plus platinum or whatever. But this is a $89 power supply as opposed to like an $189 power supply. Uh, it's got a small footprint. It's only 140 millimeters or five and a half inches deep. Um, excellent voltage regulation, AC ripple, fully modular, multi GPU technology support. You know, quiet fluid dynamic bearing, fan, uh, safety precautions like OPP, OVP. Well, that's a lot of acronyms. UVP, OCP, OTP, and SCP. Hopefully everybody knows what those are. And a 10-year warranty, yeah, you know me. which is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 10-year warranty, no weaknesses, highly recommended by Lee, and uh, that's good enough. It's good enough for me. So that's that's pretty awesome. Um, it's not and a then, terrible price for go ahead. that much. It's not a terrible price for that much uh, power supply and everything it offers. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean you can one. absolutely get cheaper power supplies out there for similar wattages. Um, but, man, Seasonic just does things right in that regard. They have been known to make the best power supplies for a long time. That's why so many of these other companies use them as their OEM uh, for power supplies. So, mm-hmm. worth looking at. Uh, the other thing we're going to talk about real quick is a quick look. A quick like little review, I guess, of the Galax Galax. Am I going to pronounce it Galax Galax? You know, here's here's what it always reminds me of. Okay. There's there's a it, once upon a time many years ago we were playing kind of a not a Pictionary game but close enough where they give you a definition uh, not a definition but a word and uh, you have to write out what would be a, a reasonable definition for it and so one was a yet. And one of the guy's definition is the last thing you say when you see the abominable soul man. Get it? You get yes. cut off before you say a Yeti. And so I always see Galact <laughs> as you start saying that and you get whacked. Yeah. All right. I'll Makes go with sense. Galax. So Galax, Galax. GTX 1060 EXOC white. This is a uh, six gigabyte GTX 1060 graphics card uh, that, that they sent over for us to take a look at. It is, um, you know, it's an interesting market for these graphics cards right now. If you look at, you know, the RX 580 GTX 1060 kind of classification because of all the cryptocurrency mining and all that stuff, the inventory is hard to come by and prices are kind of fluctuating. Um, that being said, the, the, this 
EXOC white card is just it's it's a unique design, right? So it's it's overclocked as the name implies. It's white as the name implies. Um, you can take a look at the card. I mean, it's basically it's a standard PCB. It's it's not like one of those all white PCBs, but uh, there's a white shroud, uh, clear white fan blades with uh, white LEDs that illuminate through them. Uh, the back plate is white, uh, and it's it's a good like powder coated finish on uh, on the back plate. The shroud is is white plastic, but the the back plate looks exceptionally well, which I think is actually more important because that's in generally when you have a system, unless you have an inverted chassis. Uh, is this is what you're going to be seeing? So, uh, two HD, or I'm sorry, two DVI DisplayPort HDMI connection on it. It comes out of the box overclocked to a 1772 megahertz boost rate, uh, while the reference is 1708. So you're getting nearly, you know, 65 to 70 megahertz overclock out of the box, which is nice. And then in terms of manual overclocking, I was actually able to do uh, 100 megahertz offset by turning the power target up to 115%, which is the maximum on this card. Um, and the sustained clock speeds got to 1,999 megahertz. I tried, <laughs> I tried to get like over <laughs> two two gigahertz for extended period of time and just couldn't really nail it down. Um, but 1,999 is pretty damn close to getting that two gigahertz mark. Uh, on there, which is you know going to get you a pretty impressive um, uh, performance boost over even what the EXOC out of the box results are, and it, and it did it while uh, the fans were running exceptionally quiet and the GPUs running like in the upper 60s C, right? So it was it was very cool at the same time. So it was there were no there were no concerns with stability there. Um, we ran some performance benchmarks, but this is kind of the the least interesting part of the review because it's you know where, where GTX 1060 stands, and you can see we got the RX 580 in those results, and the um, like in Dirt Rally, the reference in the Galax card are neck and neck, but in Tomb Raider and The Witcher 3, it's just a little bit faster, which is kind of what you would what you would expect for a four to five percent delta out of the box. So, a really good card um, that I think has some interesting styling to it. That if if you have uh, you know. A lot of these new motherboards, like the Asus Prime series of motherboards, have like white accents on them, which I think would match really well uh, with this Galax GTX 1060 EXOC white card. Uh, but finding them can be tough. First of all, finding Galax cards in the in North America markets in and of itself is pretty tough. But in the market as it is today, it's it's pretty tough as well. So keep an eye out for this particular product if you're going gaming card hunting anytime soon. So worth noting. Um, so I will, compl- I will absolutely admit here that I have no idea what in the hell is going on with the multi-die GPUs story. I've seen, I saw it float around Twitter for a little bit while I've been on, on, uh, on the island out here. Uh, so please somebody tell me what NVIDIA is experimenting with or people think they're experimenting with with these multi-die GPUs. Well, you, you have a pretty good basis in it. Think, okay. Think Ryzen and then think... Threadripper and Epic, and you have essentially got it. So, what we have, what we have here, is an extreme ability to communicate, and <laughs> this is done through essentially a a low power, high bandwidth thing that we call PCI Express 3.0. In theory, so you've got all these PCIe lanes 
they provide a great amount of of high bandwidth, low power uh, connections in between GPU dies. And we have these companies who have an extreme amount of expertise in multi-GPU rendering. And so when you put all the parts closer together, in theory, you can improve performance dramatically, all the while decreasing the cost. Because you no longer have to um, design a, a single giant monolithic GPU and hope that the process node is is mature enough that you get good yields and good bins versus going with smaller dies and then having each of those smaller dies communicate with more memory. So you're actually increasing your memory bandwidth. So instead of having four 128 or, or 64-bit connections in between this big monolithic GPU, you've got four GPUs and each of them have 128 bits of um, 128 bit wide memory con, uh, components, or you know whatever they're doing if they're doing HBM or whatever future technology. So you've got so many win wins here, and uh, in the end, you know that they, they've got a small Sys plus IO chip that will you know of course connect to the PCI bus to the system. Uh, it could potentially, most likely. Do some frame buffer stuff. I don't know for sure. Uh, they didn't go into any kind of you know real granular detail here, but a lot of their theories and some of their simulations say that you know they can decrease the cost of a card because you're not using these huge GPUs, but you're keeping the performance. And in fact, potentially even increasing the overall performance versus a monolithic GPU by going smaller having more interconnects and to be able to do things kind of smarter. Now there are potential problems here. You may not get scaling in everything frame buffer, op- uh, frame buffer operations will be a little bit more problematic because which one of the GPUs is going to be handling that because everybody has to do, you know, some spot of, of you know, Let's say we split a screen in four parts. GPU one takes care of one quarter. The rest take out of the rest. And GPU one has to do the the combined operations to to get that out to write out and and eventually to your screen. And we also have other issues like we're running a regular first person shooter, and two GPUs are just essentially only rendering sky and. The other ones are doing all the work. I mean, how are you going to share the 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 workload effectively between four of these, you know, identical GPUs sitting there? And and yeah, you can get away with perhaps like super tiling. Do you remember that from ATI days? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you could you could possibly make things more granular there by super tiling, but then when you get rid of some super tiling. Um, well, when you implement it, you, you decrease the amount of, um, what would it, what is that called? Where, where, where actually data and bits are closer together in in memory, memory locality. Locality. Yeah. Yes. And so when you do super tiling at, at a more granular level, you lose locality and, uh, there, there are just, 
it's it's technology that's not quite ready to come, but it's closer than it ever has been. I mean, that's kind of stating the obvious, but there are some good reasons to go with smaller dies on an interposer or a substrate, and especially with interposer technology moving forward, and them not only just being an interposer in that they connect things, but there's going to be active logic that will be integrated in interposers to kind of help mesh things together better. And that's that's another future technology that we'll see in the next year or two years. Uh, so when you put all these things together, um, it looks more and more viable to use these multi-GPU kind of clusters in a single card rather than a big monolithic die and then multiple cards. It just kind of eventually will make sense, but you're going to have to have a lot more integration, not only in silicon, you're going to have to have better communication, uh, more PCIe controllers, and you're going to have to have some software development uh, improve to get this to work really well. So does that explain what the multi-GPU thing is? Yeah. Yeah, Scott points out in the chat that it's not even splitting the screen. It could even split a single polygon mesh within a draw call through multiple modules. Um which is substantially more granular than I was thinking when just kind of reading the headline and looking at some of the diagrams and stuff uh, that were out there. So it's, that's, it's interesting. I mean, do you think, do you, do you think this is something that takes off? Is this something that, that we see in a five year window from NVIDIA? Maybe. Yeah. I can't give any better problem. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jeremy. I was just going to say, kind of a product in search of a problem at this point. I wouldn't say that. I mean, everybody wants to have better yields and better bends, and you're going to achieve that with smaller dies. When you have a big monolithic die, you're going mm-hmm. to have more defects per millimeter squared than you will with, of course, smaller dies. And some of those defects and some of those variations are going to really cause the entire chip to go slower and slower or have more issues than, say, if you had a bunch of smaller dies and then you had maybe one or two defects per die versus about 10 or 12 in one of these bigger ones. I mean, it's just it's just, it's just, just statistics and distribution. And so, yeah, everybody wants to have more usable dies in, in the bins that they're looking for to be able to sell a product that, that is hitting... There are specifications, and you can do that with more smaller dies put together in, in, in concert to work as one larger one. But there's a lot of intricacies involved in getting four to work as one. And, you know, I went over some of those things. And, and plus, you got to consider, especially with data locality, you have to essentially do a NUMA architecture with – um those GPUs. So you got four GPUs. They each have individual banks of memory and you've got locality pretty well, you know, done if, if you do it right with each GPU, but you're going to have a lot of crosstalk in between still. And especially as, you know, Scott says, you can, you go down to basic polygons that they can all address. Well, you're going to be sharing a lot of memory or you're going to have to, Go overboard on the amount of memory you have and just replicate it to each GPU. I, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but 
there's a lot of roads to a lot of inefficiencies as compared to being able to gain efficiencies with a multi-GPU uh, implementation. Well, yeah. it's it's interesting tech. So, uh, yeah. AMD solved everybody's problems, as it turned out. Who knew, right? <laughs> all those, all those many months and years ago. Uh, what else we have on our docket here? Ryzen well, Pro like announcement. And they design stuff for other people. <laughs> hey, you know, everybody's got to have a goal in life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Ryzen Pro, I actually was briefed on this, but didn't really get a chance to write up a story on it. Jeremy, you want to uh, run us through this? This is essentially their answer to kind of like the Intel Core V Pro stuff. Correct. So uh, in sort of one of the ways that I've seen it put is that uh, Ryzen put on a suit and tie. So you got six different models, uh, two sevens, two fives, two threes with we're getting ridiculous because when you got to type out Ryzen 7 Pro 1700X a couple of times, it gets annoying. Yeah. But they do they pretty much match up. Yeah, they pretty much match up to the equivalent uh, Ryzen 7s as far as core counts, clock speeds, and that. The 3s are essentially uh, identical to the Ryzen 5s. They just don't uh, have SMT enabled, which is going to drop the price down a little bit. In some cases, be relatively useful. But what you get are a couple of features from Epic. Uh, You get their secure processor that does a lot of uh, inline encryption right to the memory and such, so that your system is secure, and they uh, will do TPM 2.0. So a lot of the sort of enterprise features that you really want, but without having to pay the full Epic price. So it's Mm -hmm. like a nice middle of the road for, you know, a small business or someone running their own home business that actually would be interested in some of the, you know, enterprise-level security. It's nice to see it sort of AMD filling... uh, the, the spot that you've got between Ryzen and the soon to arrive Epic. So, cause I mean, those Epic chips, I, I don't think they're going to be inexpensive. I, I don't think they're going to be Xeon level, but they're not going to be cheap. And so this is a nice yeah. mix where you've got your security features, but you've still got, uh, you know, expected performance out of Horizon. It'll be interesting to see these guys hit the market. I haven't seen much in the way of pricing yet. I'm assuming it's going to be, a bit more than your equivalent Ryzen processor, but and just enabling those, I don't think it's going to be a huge difference. So it'll be interesting to see these guys come out and how many people are looking at adopting them. Yeah, it, for, for for AMD, it's a, it's a very significant launch for them, if only because they basically have no market share in this kind of area, right? Sure. And, and selling into businesses, right? If you can sell, if you can get a contract with some major Fortune 100 companies, suddenly you know you're, you've got a client like HP who's selling 30,000 units to one customer at a time, right? And so that's what they're trying to get into. And they're going to utilize their performance advantages, their multi-threading, multi-core advantages they have over Intel's Core i three five seven lines of products. Um, but they, you know, they have a significant disadvantage in that people are familiar with Intel's tools, they're familiar with the ecosystem. Um, and, uh, it's, it's an uphill battle for sure, but it's all about getting in the same way that Epic and the server side on the data center side is like trying to get that one foot in the door so that you can, you know, open up the, the world of clients to a, to a much larger mm-hmm. degree. It's the same thing. It's going to be here. 
is uh, is getting that to to work really well. So, and that's right, almost and then, one of the most interesting things about the Ryzen three, because Core i threes do not have vPro. They do not have any of the enterprise features that you get on the i fives or the i sevens. The yeah. Ryzen threes do. You, you lose out on the multiple threads per core, but you get all of your enterprise features, and it's probably going to be at a very attractive price for someone that needs to set something up, but doesn't really want to pay full on Intel pricing. So we'll see how yeah. that works. Yeah. And uh, finally on our list today, uh, StarCraft Remastered trailer release date pre-order. Is this just the original StarCraft and Brood Wars redone? Am I excited about but this now? Pretty. Is that what I'm looking at? I prefer for free, for certain. Well, I mean, the original ones are free now. As part of this whole thing, the the original oh. Starcraft and Brood War have been free for a couple of months now, but they they announced the remasters. I don't even remember how long ago it was at this point, but now you have a price tag and a release date. Huh. I think fifteen bucks is pretty good for games you can get an infinite amount of hours out of. <laughs> I'm watching the trailer. Oh, yeah, it's had like an infinite number of hours. It's weird. Yeah, I, I just wanted to see some this. gameplay. Do they not have any gameplay? I'm sorry, in here? there is no gameplay in you this. Can probably a picture what the gameplay looks like. Yeah, it looks just I like guess. the original, but prettier, <laughs> higher resolution. August 14th, so it'll be out just in time for QuakeCon to happen, so everybody can be <laughs> playing this at QuakeCon. Um, fifteen bucks. Yeah, it's I'll play bad. it. I got no complaints. I mean, I'll buy it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All right, if we're being realistic about things. you got a benchmark it, right? All right. All right. I know it's been a shorter episode, but let's get into our hardware software picks of the week. Uh, mine is neither hardware or software. I'm taking a page out of Josh's book and picking liquor Ooh. for this particular one. Uh, this is uh, Jefferson's Ocean at Sea, which I am drinking currently, which is like a... The website I linked has it listed for like 90 bucks, but I think you can get it for like $70 um, around, well, in the Kentucky area. Well, actually, no, I bought this in North Carolina, so you know your mileage is going to vary. The idea is um, this bourbon was aged for nearly a decade on land before it finished its uh, aging process on a ship. Um, and I think you know, each vessel is a little bit different in this series. This is Voyage 11 uh, in this particular bottle that I have. And it went through, you know, the Panama Canal to uh, Tahiti, New Zealand, Australia, uh, South Australian Basin to Singapore, Shanghai, South Korea, Japan, the North Pacific, before coming down south again back to Long Beach, where I'm guessing it was picked up and driven uh, or bottled there or driven back to wherever it was going to be bottled at. Um yeah, because all it says is it was bottled for McLean and Kind, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, so there's, you know, so some question marks there. It's, so it's it's got an interesting story, right? And it's just you got these barrels sitting on a boat. The idea is it, they they take it around the world because it goes through all these different weather patterns. You know, I think in this one it talks about um, having, you know, in some days going between forty low 40s to the high 80s cause the wood and the barrels to expand and contract along bourbon to breathe in a different way than it would in any kind of normal aging process. So uh, pretty neat stuff. It's just kind of an interesting – as the uh, bourbon and scotch 
in Liquorfield's age, they it's interesting to see people come up with these ideas with how they can sell these kind of gimmicky bourbons. It's good. It's it is really good. I'm, I've been drinking some this evening. Um, so recommended as long as you're 21 and up. Who's next? Nice. Have you ever been to see Billy? <laughs> what do you got for me, Jeremy? Uh, the Asrock uh, X370 Killer SLI AC AM4 AMD Promontory Board, because we need longer <laughs> Cause, names. Because Promontory uh, is a good name for a motherboard. You know it. And they, they actually threw an extra X370 in there in... <laughs> I don't know. They're SEL, honoring man. Xbox X one one box X or something, <laughs> but uh, all told, uh, it's one ninety dollar or one hundred ninety bucks after the mail in rebate. Which, considering what this thing has, is not too freaking bad. You've got uh, da, 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 where is it? Two PCI three point uh, another four two point It's got M two of course, uh, Wi Fi an ungodly amount of just about anything you could want up to and including for the old school people, some old PS2 ports just cause hmm. so the only thing I'd ask for is a serial port, but at, uh, for this sort of fully featured one at 190, not too bad up in here in Canada. Very cool. All right, Josh. Mine's not a motherboard. Jack. All right. But, uh, you know what? Because there's games out there where you drive things. Yes. And you know what? The, uh, the, the, um, what do you call it? Logitech, uh, G920 series. It started at $399. Well, they finally came to their senses. You can buy it for $279, which is much more in line with the competition. Either they're coming yeah. out with something new, which I doubt. But, uh, yeah, it's a solid wheel. And you got the three. Pedal set by default, and for two seventy nine, that's a nice deal. That's leather wrapped. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, I like this driving set. We've got one of these at the office, and yeah, at a hundred twenty dollar discount over where it launched at, that's a substantial improvement and kind of like the value you can get out of that for certain. So there you have it. There you go. All right, Ken. Well, I got something super exciting in the mail this week. I got a new luggage tag. Are you impressed? Amazing. Yes. No. Well, if you dig a little into it, I got it from a company called Plaintags.com. Again, a name that wouldn't really arouse any suspicion, but if Alex cuts to the website, you can see what they do. They take retired airplane fuselages and cut them out, and then you can have your details laser engraved on the back. Hmm. So Uh, I have this one sold out because it was a limited edition. Uh, that was actually, I think it was, uh, actually, that's a different tail number, but the one I got was Delta's first 757. So that's been decommissioned and they took a laser cutter to the plane and, uh, cut out the fuselage. Hmm. You can actually see like wear patterns. They don't necessarily refinish them because that would take away a lot of the different, uh, sort of value of it. That's pretty you awesome. See, you can see scratches in the paint on the, on the one side and stuff. It's kind of cool. Hmm. And they're 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 pretty good. It's like I don't know if you don't want them engraved for a lot of them it's like 25 bucks. They were running a sale that engraving was free, which is why I bought mine. They have like a 15% coupon code I think if you go to the website when those things pops up. 
Just, I really like the the one at the top that is the uh, uh, far right, the uh, B twenty six. Yeah, they do now, military I, planes too, which is pretty awesome. What I like what I like about it is like the wear pattern on it, which I'm guessing I'm I'm you know not guaranteed to get. On yeah, it, but that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, if you go for a plane like that, I imagine the detail is going to be a little more interesting. Marauder was the best air bomber, medium range bomber ever. It was a bitch to fly, but boy, it was <laughs> I think fast. I'm gonna have to get a P fifty one. That's yeah. pretty awesome. My dad would have you loved know, that. Yeah, P fifty one. B one B. Amazing. It's the B one B's got to be from some of the bombers that have crashed because they really don't retire those. <laughs> there were only a hundred made, sure. one hundred and fifty made. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. don't just retire them. They're well, yeah, you know. I didn't even see the B1B on there at the at that point, or else I probably have got. Oh no, it's one hundred twenty five dollars. Okay, yeah, that, that makes more expensive. sense. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That that's that would be a really cool thing to have, though. One of a thousand. Seventeen. Yeah, this is cool. With current is, homeland is, security restrictions, we are fortunate to add these limited plane tags to our collections. <laughs> <laughs> You have to. Sure, it's, you're carrying it's, a warplane on board. We it, can't allow that. It's ITAR regulated, so you have to be US. <laughs> Very cool. That's a good one. Uh, Alex, you got something for us? I do. I do indeed. Um, there's a story behind this, but I won't get into it because it's a long story. Um, has nothing to do with Fourth of July, but just a kind of reminder. <laughs> Maybe it has something to do with mining. <laughs> No, no, no mining. Um, it, it was actually a packing incident caused an accidental discharge, so I need to get a new one. Um, <clears throat> fire extinguishers. Mm-hmm. Keep them around everywhere in vehicles, in houses. Just have them. Yeah, actually, we had a we had a scare here today while we were smoking some wings out on the out on his on, on this buddy's green egg grill, where uh, the smoke actually seeped in through the windows and set off the smoke detector inside the house. So it got people's attention, if nothing else. Twenty bucks, not too bad. Yeah, I mean there there's multiple kinds For you safety. can get. You know, it's it's a small one. It's nice to keep in your you know the, behind the seat in the car. Um, yeah. You know, bigger ones for household, but they're it, it's better to have one and not need it than to not have one when you need it. That's usually the case. Mm-hmm. Very much so. We'll end it on the on the safety recommendation note from Fire Marshal Alex, uh, and we'll. Uh, uh, hey, thanks for joining us tonight, Ryan. You're the glue that that holds the disparate parts together. If you know what I'm saying. Very true. Well, but even I knew even with, with that problem about premature discharge. That's true. That's true. Can we cut back to the Amazon page real quick? I just noticed something. Let's see if I zoom out here. If I can get it. Oh, well, can you go to the full capture, Alex? Uh, that's the only one I got set up right uh, now. There, the related entry on this page is Instafire fire starters. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was kind of odd. Good, uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us. And in Josh, back to your comment, I would say, yeah, we, I knew with Vega and everything, I I basically had to kick a kid out of a bedroom, <laughs> out of an office slash bedroom <laughs> to make this happen. So, you know, that kid sleeping uh, upstairs. They're on young. The couch, they don't I remember. I'll carry his ass down here when we're done. Um, hey, but this is the sacrifices we go through to try to bring you a high-quality weekly podcast. Oh, 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 I totally forgot, and I did want to bring this up because I, I mentioned it. There were two people who donated to the Patreon during the show uh, to, ah. to give you my hashes. 
offered a uh, pledge $3 <laughs> per month. Thank you very much, sir. And then three blondes walk into a bar, edited their pledge from $9.99 to $20 a month. So Ooh, wow, that's thank you nice. To, thank you. you very much to both of you. Uh, that's that's pretty awesome. So uh, last like thing, PCPro.com slash that he's donating to the cause. And let me tell you, True. I would drink them. And I do. That's right. <laughs> Uh, yes, I'll tell quick in the chat. I will give a shout out to my friend who allowed me to to stream from his place. It's, it was very nice. Um, PCPro.com slash podcast URL to go to to find show notes, uh, to links to all the documents that we talked about today, all the stories and reviews and whatnot, uh, the picks of the week, uh, RSS files, MP3 files, YouTube links, all that stuff is there. PCPro.com slash podcast. So we'll end it there, everybody. Hope you have a good night, and we'll see you next week. I'm Ryan Schrout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walroth. And I'm Ken Addison. Goodbye. Ken. If you enjoyed this content, consider supporting in-depth technical content by contributing at patreon.com slash pcper.